0: Today, we're continuing in this series called Man Chooses and God Allows. This is part two. And I'm actually going to talk about, not talk so much about what Saul did, but talk about the relationship that the people had with God and the consequences of the choice. Because God clearly told them what was going to happen because of the king that they that they wanted and the consequences. but I'm going to talk more about God's relationship to the people, showing his compassion and mercy to the people in spite of a a bad choice. Showing the goodness of God in their lives at the time and and how that translates to our life today. So please, I'd like us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. I'm going to read and then I'm going to read 19 through 22. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 13. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen. Now, this is this Samuel speaking to the people. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. You hear how he said it. You chose, you desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice, and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. So, even though they chose a man over God, God still is willing to work with them. But it's contingent on the people and the king obeying God. Even though they made the wrong choice, he's still willing to work with them. He's still willing to work with them, but it's contingent on their obedience. Verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see... This great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes, is today not the weak harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now, just understand what's happening there. There's time for the wheat harvest. The worst thing you can have during time when wheat is ready to be picked is to have rain and a storm. And that's what God brought on them. So that affected their harvest. So with that, God showing was physically showing his displeasure with their choice. The people realized this and This is what they're saying here now in verse 19. They say, All the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Now, watch how they prayed here. They said to Samuel, Samuel, pray for us to the Lord your God. They didn't say, Our God, your God, Samuel. You pray to your God for us, intercede for us, with your God, for him to have mercy upon us, because we know we sinned against him. Verse 20, then Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside, for then you will... Go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now listen to that. Listen to that. All right? The people rejected God. But God is still willing to work with them. Why? Because for his own name, because of his promise. He can't he can't turn his back on them because he made a promise and he has to ease and God is not doesn't make idle promises. He has to keep his word. So he said here, tell them, don't worry. Just follow me, obey me, and everything will be okay. Why? Because I have to keep my own for my own name's sake. So just going back, God appoints Saul as king. He kept his word. The people asked for a king. He gave them a king. The people realized they sinned against God by asking for this earthly king. And God revealed his displeasure when the storm and the rain came during the time of harvest. So they, were, they suffered loss. You see, what happened? God already gave his word, he had, Saul was anointed king. So he couldn't go back on his word. I don't care what the people, how much they repented. He couldn't go, God couldn't go back to his word and take back the 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 um, position of Saul being king. That's what they want. That's what they had. They had now had to live with this king. And live with the consequences of this king. Because God told them before. He said, this is what's going to happen. And they said, give us this king anyway. So now they have the king. God can't He can't renege. He gave his word and that's it. They have to live with this king and the consequences. So look here and you see in verse 20 20 through 22, the compassion of God. Even though, as I said, they made the wrong choice, he still was willing to work with them contingent on their obedience. God will still provide for them. He will still bless them. He will still fight their battles through the king and the armies. He will still be there for them, contingent on their obedience. Nothing has changed because the relationship, the only difference with the relationship now is that they put another person in between them now and God. So God was with Saul and Samuel was his counselor. So instead of the people have to deal directly with the judge, now they have to deal with the king and the judge. Saul is anointed king. He is now king over the people of Israel. And with that, Samuel is his counselor. So, how the kingdom goes is all dependent on how willing the king is to, to listen to his counselor, who is appointed by God. If you look at the history of Saul and you read the account of Saul's reign in 1 Samuel, he was disobedient. Saul was self-willed, and he took matters in his own hands. So that's everything God warned him about has happened with Saul, this king. And what did God do? God eventually, he rejected Saul. And And he put another appointed or anointed another king to take his place, and that was David. But that didn't happen right away. It happened over time. Because the whole scenario with Saul had to play out. So it it shows when, even though you you repent and you ask God to forgive you for certain things, based on your choice, God, it doesn't change right away. You have to, the whole scenario has to play out. And you have to suffer through all the drama you caused for yourself. And that's what happened here with the people of Israel. Even though they repented they still had to deal with Saul until Saul, Saul's life came to an end. And then the new king was put in place. So this choice of this king, it cost the people of Israel. Was it worth it? I don't think so. But if you read the account in 1 Samuel, you see all the things Saul, Saul did. And after Saul, there were other kings appointed, and they were all flawed. There was not one perfect king in all that followed after after Saul. They were all flawed in some way, some more than others. And the lesson to learn from this is that the people wanting a king, it did not solve the problem that they had when they were concerned about the judges with Samuel's, Samuel's sons, the corrupt judges. It just shows that the people that you, that you want to, to rule over you, they're people. They're flawed. So putting a king instead of having the judges, the people that were appointed, didn't matter. Because whether you have somebody in between you like a king or a judge, it was all contingent on that, the, the willingness of these people to obey God. Not the leadership only, but the people themselves. So having a king didn't matter. It didn't solve their problem. As I said, it's the heart of the people and their will and the leadership and their willingness to obey God. And the focus, if you see here, is, in, is on the people of God and not the surrounding people in the surrounding areas. The focus is on the heart of the people of God and the, le- and, and the leadership. The people outside are expected to sin. The, Am- the Amorites, the Amalekites, all these people, they are, they are led by a, a man. And they, and these people, they live the way they live. They serve idols. They serve uh, whatever they serve. Some of them witchcraft. They expect, that's how they live. That's how they're expected to live. That's why God wanted them driven out of the land, because they were idol worshippers. So the focus here is what the people of God, themselves, how they were living, how are they, how are they uh, uh, responding to God's word, to his commandment. Obeying God is always better. And when we, when we read scripture and when we talk about the things of God and how people ought to behave, we always have to remember it's about the focus is on the people of God. If you read through the scriptures, the Old Testament, And the New Testament, it's always a focus on how the people of God, their behavior, their attitude, and how they respond to God, and if they're keeping his word or not. So we see the heart of God. Although the people made a wrong choice, desiring by desiring a king, God was willing to work with them and help them. And why? Because of his word, because of the promises made, his promises he can't go against his word. God is faithful to his word, and he gave the people an out before the king was chosen, but but they didn't take it. Then after the king was chosen, he was still willing to work with the people and the king, having compassion on them. He could have been very hard, but he he wasn't. He was willing to work. The conti- only thing that would matter is are they willing to obey me? Are they willing to honor me? Are they willing to walk with me? Are they willing to trust me? Even though they were disobedient, the king was disobedient, God will always do what's in the best interest of his people. See, so you could have, they have a king, you have leadership. God will always do what's best for his people. Why? Because he has to keep his word. You know, I'm reminded of what God said to Solomon after Solomon built and dedicated the temple. Solomon was chosen to build this temple. And I'd like you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. So the temple was built and dedicated. And Solomon, as I said, was, that was his purpose, to build that temple. God appeared, verse 12, then God appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. This place he's talking about is the temple. Verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. He said here in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's it. Now, if you understand what is being said here, there is a temple that was ordained by God to be built. By Solomon, but there's a condition here. It said here, Solomon, I have heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I have anointed you or declared you to be the one to build this temple for sacrifice. I will honor sacrifices in this place. And then God said here in verse 13, which is kind of out of out of whack, but it makes sense. God said, there will be a time when the consequences of people's sin, the people's sin, and he's talking about his people. He's not talking about the, uh, anyone else. He's talking about the, the Jews. there's a time when the consequences of their sin will bring drought, hunger and sickness because God said, here, I will send pestilences among my people. He will allow it because of their sin and he say, and he says. However, if the people will repent and turn to God, God will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what he's saying in verse 14. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the surrounding people. He's talking about his people. So ultimately, the people of God have to choose to obey God. And if you read the history of this temple, this temple was eventually destroyed. Even God ordained Solomon, to build this temple. This temple was destroyed. Why was the temple destroyed? Because the people didn't keep God's word. They they were rebellious. So God destroyed. Any sacrifice they offered was God didn't want it. He destroyed, had the temple destroyed. So we have to be careful. When we, you know, God will do things in history and for people. But you can't put up a shrine to it. God cares about our heart because that shrine he will destroy it. It served its purpose in a time but if the people's heart are not towards God, if they're rebellious to God, God will destroy that. So, you know, we got to keep these things in mind. God cares about our heart towards Him, not about the stuff, not about the physical things. Even though Israel wanted a king, God was willing to work with them. God didn't care about the king. He didn't care about that structure. He cared about the king. Yeah, you could have a king, but where's your king and where's your heart towards me? Where are your heart and the king's heart towards me? Are you all willing to obey me and walk in my ways? And that's the same theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Covenant. It's the same thing. Where is the heart? Where where is the heart of my people? Are they towards me, or is it towards something else? And if and you understand this thing in this 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 context and this the relationship with God in First in Samuel here, talking about when they ask for a king, God always gives some leeway to people, to His people, because He knows that we stray. He knows. God knows that we stray, and he gives us some leeway. But even though we stray, the question is, what do we do when we realize we are strayed? You know, there's a point of no return when, when you're dealing with the things of God. God will give us leeway, but there's a point of no return. As the Jews had a point of no return, God gave them an out. He said, this is the king you want. This is what's going to happen. That warning. Was an out. They could. That warning was a sign. Change your mind, because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So God gave them some leeway, but they still made the choice that they wanted this king. God said, "Okay, you want this king? Here he is. I'm willing to work with you, but this is contingent on you, your king, and you walking in my ways." Same thing applies to us. There's a point of no return. God will always give us an out, but we have to take the out. Or if we don't, we are allowed to keep going, and then the consequences of that choice we have to live through. I'm sure we all have examples. I have examples. God will not remove the consequences. Because we have made a choice, and there are consequences that we have to suffer through when we make bad choices. He's not, God is not going to remove the trouble. I don't care how much we beg and plead and repent. We have to go, we have to go through the trouble and see to its to its to its end. But even though we, we repent, God will forgive us, and He will help us through the difficulties from our own choices. But individually or corporately, we have to choose to repent. You know what Saul did. <clears throat> One thing Saul did not do, I don't know if I mentioned it, I don't think I did. Saul did not, when he realized that he was going against God, you know, instead of Saul repenting, you know what Saul did? He went to a medium. He went to a witch to consult a witch and what to do. He, didn't even, he did not repent to God. He went to another source. Just imagine that. And when God rejected him, what did he do? He turned against the people. So you see, the thing about it, Saul had repented and turned to God. God would have forgiven him, but he would still have to be replaced. But he didn't choose that. He chose to go his own way, as he always did during his reign. He chose to do things his own way, and we also similarly. We are faced with, with choices like that. When we know we have made bad choices, and God brings it to our attention, we have a choice to, to repent or not repent. And that choice really is up to us. God will allow it. Whatever we choose to do, God will allow it. He will never go against our choice. As I said, man chooses, God allows. And the important thing is that no matter how far you have strayed, Always come back to God because he's always there willing to receive you. Repentance is a choice. Coming back to God, turning to God is a choice. Everything we do is a choice. You can't get mad at God when things are not going right in your life because you're choosing to go your own way. Every, the consequences, and you know, I use this word consequences, and we always think when I say consequences, everything That connotates that it's bad. No. There are good consequences and bad consequences. But in the context of what I'm saying here, I'm talking about bad, evil consequences or bad consequences. When you always go against the things of God and go against God, you can't blame him for the the results in your life. You have to look at your life, what choices you have made in your life. Because the results... The, the outcome, the consequences that you are facing in your life is a result of choices you have made. And you can't blame God because you God can't go against your own free will. He can't do it or else he, won't be, he, he, he can't be trusted. Ultimately, we have to make the choice to obey God. As I said, God gives us leeway, but there's a point of no return where we just have to live through based on the choice we've made. He won't remove the consequences. But we repent, he will forgive us, and he help us through it. And in, through it. And that means sometimes you have compassion, and you have mercy. You won't get what you, all of what you deserve. That's mercy. Okay? So, I'm going to stop there, and I really hope you've, you've learned something and, you know, give you something to think about. And answer some questions about your life and what has happened in your life or even what's happening now. God is not, you know, we always think God is this uh, taskmaster. He's not. He has a certain criteria, a way we ought to live. But he's compassionate and merciful because he knows how we are formed, he knows our frame, and we, we must never use the excuse that we are only human to excuse our sin. The people in the world can say that, but we, as children of God, we ought to know better. We are not just only human, we are children of a living God. we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You remember I said last week you have you, you can't look at yourself as 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 nothing, because God doesn't see us as nothing. We have to declare about ourselves who God says that we are. We are not just like everyone else. So when you speak contrary to what God says about who we are, we are calling God a liar. But you see, we can't see ourselves through the lens of our own lens or the lens of man. We have to see ourselves through the lens of God. And when you look at, at, when you see yourself through the lens of God, you see his love towards us, his compassion, and his heart. And that same heart, when we understand it, we also would look at people through that same lens. I mean, I'm telling you, the more and the closer and closer you get to God, is the softer and softer your heart has to be towards people because we understand what they are like, we we understand, we understand that's why you know you know we're going to talk about in, in Matthew chapter four with the Bible study, when Jesus is speaking, you hear, you see and feel the heart of God because he understands the, what man is like, that they're nothing, that they they're so easily corrupted. He understands that's why he came in the form of man. Not just to die for man, but to, so that we, he can experience what we experience. So we, as the Bible says, we have a high priest who, who knows what we, what we are going through because he was tested in like manner. So he can, he can show his compassion to us because he have actually experienced it. But even before God came in the, in the form of man, Christ, God was shown, had mercy and compassion because he knew when he created Adam, he knew what he had created. And Adam was supposed to be perfect, but still with that, he was corrupted because one thing he gave Adam was a free will. And he has never taken away free will from man. Even in the midst of his man's sin, God never took away his free will. And he will never do it. All right, I'm going to stop there.